dear Father in heaven, glory be unto your name for your goodness, for your love, for your mercies. We thank you, Lord, for also being there for us to provide our spiritual needs and our temporal needs also. We are grateful for your faithfulness, for your mercy and goodness towards us. Blessed be thy holy name, O Lord. We pray, O Lord, that you would furnish us with blessings from your word, that through these blessings and the words we will hear, our hearts shall be lifted up to heavenly places and our character may be transformed. The subject matter we have before us calls for us to have the sympathy and the compassion and the character of our Lord. We pray, Lord, that we will be inspired with such characters we go through these words. Please put your words in my mouth and that I may speak words of edification and blessing to your children who are listening. Do this and take the glory. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, June 30. Last Words Now, these be the last words of David. 2 Samuel, chapter 23, verse 1. David's last words, as recorded, are a song. A song of trust, of loftiest principle, and undying faith. David, the son of Jesse, saith, and the man who was raised on high saith, the anointed of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel, the spirit of Jehovah speak by me, one that ruleth over men righteously, that ruleth in the fear of God. He shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth. A morning without clouds, when the tender grass springeth out of the earth. Through clear shining after rain, verily my house is not so with God, yet he hath made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for it is all my salvation and all my desire. Second Samuel chapter 23 verse 1 to 5 Great had been David's fall, but deep was his repentance, ardent was his love, and strong his faith. He had been forgiven much, and therefore he loved much. Luke chapter 7 verse 8 The Psalms of David pass through the whole range of experience, from the depths of conscious guilt and self-condemnation, to the loftiest faith and the most exalted communing with God. His life record declares that sin can bring only shame and woe, but that God's love and mercy can reach to the deepest depths, that faith will lift up the repenting soul to share the adoption of the sons of God. Of all the assurances which his word contains, it is one of the strongest testimonies to the faithfulness the justice and the covenant mercy of God. Glorious are the promises made to David and his house, promises that look forward 
to the eternal ages and find their complete fulfillment in Christ. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Last Words. We are looking at the last part of David's life that before he died. And as we look at this part of David's life, we have to review his whole experience and see the lesson that stands out that we can learn from his life. Conflict and Courage, page 187, paragraph 3 says, Great had been David's fall, but deep was his repentance, ardent was his love, and strong his faith. He had been forgiven much, and therefore he loved much. Amen. End of quote. When we read 1 Kings chapter 1, reading from verse 1 to 4, we see how it was that David was about to die. He says, Now King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. Wherefore his servants said unto him, Let there be sought for my lord the king a young virgin, and let her stand before the king, and let her cherish him, and let her lie in the bosom that my lord the king may get heat. So they sought for a fair damsel throughout all the coasts of Israel, and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. And the damsel was very fair, and cherished the king, and ministered to him, but the king knew her not. Indeed, the word of God tells us the experiences of this man David, and you see that the Bible is no respecter of any man. It tells us the good, the bad, the ugly. And the reason for this is like we always read in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. All these things were written for our learning upon whom the ends of the world are come. In every aspect of David's life, we have had something to learn. And that's why it was put on record. But what stands out in David's life was the great iniquity he committed and his subsequent repentance deep repentance it was in the book of luke 7 verse 47 it's jesus speaking to simon said wherefore i say unto thee her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much but to whom little is forgiven the same loveth little here jesus was speaking about the woman i believe mary who was washing his feet and had used perfume to anoint Jesus and Simon said in his heart that if Jesus knew that this woman was an adulterer he wouldn't permit her to touch him but not so Jesus knew and Jesus doesn't think like we think the iniquities we commit do not in any way separate us from the from him when we have repented the deep con- the deep mercy of the Lord brings those who have sinned against him into close union with him. In fact, after the redemption of man, when Christ will come, humanity will be brought to a greater nearness to God than before the fall. Man is going to be going to heaven, whereas before the fall, Adam was on earth, taking care of the earth. But when Christ will come, a greater reward is given and they are going to spend a thousand years with Christ in heaven. But Jesus said the reason why the woman was washing his feet. She said, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said these words to Simon. Now, Simon, was it that he didn't love, he didn't have much sins, and that's why he didn't love as much as this woman? Of course not. Is there anyone to whom little is forgiven? There is none. The earlier we see the sinfulness of sin, the better for us. If we don't see the sinfulness of sin, we cannot love much. Why? Because even though the Lord forgives us, we will look at it as a small thing. But to those who feel a sense of their sin so keenly like David did, their love for God will grow even deeper than before they were forgiven their sins. We read concerning David, Conflict and Courage, page 187, paragraph 4. The Psalms of David pass through the whole range of experience, from the depths of conscious guilt and self-condemnation to the loftiest faith and the most exalted communion with God. His life record declares that sin can bring only shame and woe, but that God's love and mercy can reach to the deepest depths, that faith will lift up the repentant soul to share the adoption of the sons of God. Of all the assurances which his word contains, it is one of the strongest testimonies to the faithfulness, the justice, and the covenant mercy of God. Amen. And, of course, we are told that David had been forgiven much and therefore he loved much. And this is the case of all who, like David, feel keenly a sense of their guilt and shame that comes through sin. At times, we find ourselves in a scandal just like David. How are we to view ourselves? How does Jesus view us and others who are involved in scandal? How are we to view and relate with those who, having high claims and high position, spiritually especially, fall into scandal like David? It could be you or your loved one or your friend or even your parent. We need to be on the same page with God in this matter and we need to understand why things like this happen so we can have a proper relation with both God and with others and also with ourselves. The first thing we need to understand is this. We are all different and our struggles are different too. For this reason, we need to forbear with one another. When we understand this, we ourselves will know how to relate with those that fall in a scandal. You see that we just read now concerning David that the Lord's love and mercy reached him even in this scandalous time of his life. We need to understand that as the Lord's mercy is reaching the one who falls into a shameful sin, we are not to be different from the Lord. But there is something God knows that we need to know and that's why he can do what he does. For us, we need to understand what I just said earlier, which is that we are all different. We need to cut ourselves some slack. Reading from Testimonies on Sexual Behavior, Adultery and Divorce, page 254, paragraph 4. And it says, Jesus knows the circumstances of every soul. You may say, I am sinful, very sinful. You may be, but the worse you are, the more you need Jesus. He turns no weeping contrite one away. He does not tell to any all that he might reveal, but he bids every trembling soul take courage. Freely will he pardon all who come to him for forgiveness and restoration. End of quote. Did David receive this free pardon? Yes, he did. And because of that, he loved much. Jesus understands the circumstances of every soul. Do you see someone who falls into scandal? You need to understand. 
that there are circumstances that surround people. He doesn't excuse them. But Jesus understands the power of temptation that makes people fall into sin. And he knows why things happen. And he will freely pardon. We also need to understand how to look at others. Reading again from the same book, page 263, we are told, We are not all organized alike, and many have not been educated aright. Their education has been deficient. Some have had a quick temper transmitted to them, and their education in childhood has not taught them self-control. With this fiery temper, envy and jealousy are frequently united. Others are faulty in other respects. Some are dishonest in deal, overreaching in trade. Others are arbitrary in their families, loving to rule. Their lives are far from being correct. Their education was all wrong. They were not told the sin of yielding to the control of these evil traits. Therefore, sin does not appear to them exceedingly sinful. Others whose education has not been so faulty, who have had better training, have developed a much less objectionable character. The Christian life of all is very much affected for good or for evil by their previous education. Let me stop here and make some comments. Do you see that when we understand the differences that we all are subjected to in our education and our heredity and also the circumstances that surround us, when we understand these things, it shouldn't be so difficult for us to have the same love that God has for the sinner as he had for David. We need to learn to forgive just like the Lord forgives. Why? Because we are all humans subject to temptations and also contained in the, we are in a vessel of weakness and hence many of us fall very often and the Lord understands this and that's why he freely forgives and we should understand the same thing. Continuing the reading, it says Jesus our advocate is acquainted with all the circumstances with which we are surrounded and deals with us according to the light we have had and the circumstances in which we are placed. Some have a much better organization than others. While some are continually harassed, afflicted and in trouble because of their unhappy traits of character, having to war with its internal foes and the corruption of their nature, others have not have so much to battle against. They pass along almost free from the difficulties which their brethren and sisters who are not so favorably organized are laboring under." End of quote. Now, in light of this, we should understand why the Lord pardons sinners, why we also should have the same mind as God. So how should we view those? How should we relate? Not just to view. We've seen how to view. See the things the way God sees it. Understand the circumstances and the struggles that people have. You may not be struggling with a particular sin, but we are not all organized alike. We do not all have the same heredity and the same education. And that's why some people do not even see the exceeding sinfulness of sin. And it's difficult for them to love as David loved. You see here that David's love was deep because he knew he had been forgiven much. Therefore, he loved much. But then, is there any of us that has not been forgiven much? We have. But the problem is that some people have not been educated to see the sinfulness of sin. So they cannot understand what they were forgiven of. To them, it's a small matter and they don't love as much as David would have loved. It is therefore important for us to allow the word of God to explain to us what sin is so that it can appear exceeding sinful, or sinful to us. It's very important because when it does appear exceeding sinful to us, we then understand 
what God has done for us in forgiving us of such heinous crimes we have committed. Some people pass on and feel like, hmm, I've not committed any heinous crime. They feel that the only thing that is bad is adultery, fornication, and killing, and all that kind of things. But if we would have the mind of God, what did God say? 16, the Lord hates, 7, abomination to him. I don't even find there adultery. I don't. What you see there, feet that be quick to mischief. We hear of lying. You hear of bearing false witness. You hear of sowing discord among brethren. You also hear of killing, shedding blood. All those things the Lord hates and they are abominable to him. But many of us will be involved in its gossiping, envy, jealousies. Or yet, even when God forgives us for it, we don't feel like we've been forgiven much. Therefore, we don't love much. We need to see the exceeding sinfulness of sin so that we can love much when we realize that we have been forgiven much. And secondly, we need to learn how to relate with those, like I said, who have fallen into scandal. We talked about our parents the other time and leaders, how to honor them and still give them the respect even though they have done wrong. But this time we will need to talk about how to relate in the sense of ministry, in the sense of winning them over to God and in the mind, just how you view them in the mind. So now, reading from testimonies on sexual behavior, adultery and divorce, page 264. It says, And of some have compassion, making a difference, Jude 22. Those who are wise in the wisdom born of God will see souls in need of help, souls who have been overcome, and who, though they have sincerely repented, would scarcely dare without encouragement to lay hold of hope. The Lord will put it into the hearts of those who are stewards of his grace to welcome these trembling, repentant souls to their loving relationship. His true followers will not treat sinners as if they were beyond forgiveness. They will have compassion on those whose circumstances have been unfavorable and who have allowed Satan to lead them in forbidden paths. These souls have sinned against God. But if they repent and show the genuineness of their repentance, by earnest efforts to serve the Lord, who shall dare forbid them? Encourage them, give them an opportunity to regain what they have lost. Pride, covetousness, sensuality may have been their besetting sins. Point out their errors, but not in a way that will drive them from Christ. By words of loving compassion, draw them to Him. However low they may have fallen, do not destroy their hope of pardon labor for them, pray with them, point them to the Redeemer. It is not Christ's follower that with averted eyes turns from the erring, leaving them unhindered to pursue their downward course. Those who are forward in accusing others and zealous in bringing them to justice are often in their own lives more guilty than they. Men hate the sinner while they love the sin. Christ hates the sin but loves the sinner. This will be the spirit of all who follow him. Christian love is slow to censure, quick to descend penitence, ready to forgive, to encourage, to set the wanderer in the path of holiness and to stay his feet therein. End of quote. So we learn the lesson here once again that we should try to win those who fall into sin, whatever it is, sensuality, covetousness, maybe somebody stole some money and all that pride, whatever it is, it may have been their besetting sin. You may point the errors, but like we read, do not contrast yourself, your, your goodness with their own sin. 
it's good to let people know that they are not alone. Not that you are in sin yourself, but to let them know that you also struggle. Do not come to people when they have sinned with this mindset of holier than thou or not acknowledging the fact that you also are a sinner. We are told, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. And Jude 22 says that we should have compassion for some, making a difference. That is when people sin. You need to make a difference. Realize the circumstances that would have caused it and don't treat them like you would treat anybody who you feel is like Satan. You have have everything at your back and calling, but yet you sinned. No excuse. No, that's not the case. People have circumstances that surround them. It's not an excuse, but then people are struggling. That's why we should relate with them with compassion. Also, reading from Ministry of Healing, page 168, uh, paragraph 4 and down, what we are told. We need to put ourselves in the place of the tempted ones. Consider the power of heredity, the influence of evil associations and surroundings, the power of wrong habits. Can we wonder that under such influences, many become degraded? Can we wonder that they should be slow to respond to efforts for their uplifting? Often, when one to the gospel, those who appeared coerced and unpromising will be among its most loyal adherents and advocates. They are not altogether corrupt. Beneath the forbidding exterior, there are good impulses that might be reached. Without a helping hand, many would never recover themselves. By patient, persistent effort, they may be uplifted. Such need tender words, kind consideration, tangible help. They need that kind of counsel which will not extinguish the faint gleam of courage in the soul. Let the workers who come in contact with them consider this. End of quote. What are we to consider? Consider all these things now. Heredity. Put yourself in the place of the one who is tempted and fall into sin. The environment, the evil associations and surroundings, the power of wrong habits, all of this has they have a role that they play in people's life and we should also understand that if they are not helped without a helping hand people cannot recover themselves david needed a helping hand and he was recovered people today need a helping hand especially when they fall at that time when they are in their penitence we should be quick to discern penitence do not rub it in do not remind them and keep on repeating the matter if they have put it behind them let it be and you move on don't seek to say, oh, I want to know whether you have really changed. No, don't do that. Let them be. Going on, it says, We are saved by hope. Romans 8 verse 24 The fallen must be led to feel that it is not too late for them to be men. Christ honored man with his confidence and thus placed him on his honor. Even those who had fallen the lowest he treated with respect. It was a continual pain to Christ to be brought into contact with enmity, depravity and impurity. But never did he utter one expression to show that his sensibilities were shocked or his refined tastes offended, whatever the evil habits, the strong prejudices or the overbearing passions of human beings. He met them all with pitying tenderness. As we partake of his spirit, we shall regard all men as brethren with similar temptations and trials, often falling 
and struggling to rise again, battling with discouragements and difficulties, craving sympathy and help. Then we shall meet them in such a way as not to discourage or to repel them but to awaken hope in their hearts. As they are thus encouraged, they can say with confidence, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. He will plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. Micah 7 verse 8 and 9 When one at fault becomes conscious of his error, be careful not to destroy his self-respect. Do not discourage him by indifference or distrust. Do not say, before giving him my confidence, I will wait to see whether he will hold out. Often, this very distrust causes the tempted one to stumble. And going to page 163, we are told, How little do we enter into sympathy with Christ on that which should be the strongest bond of union between us and him? Compassion for depraved, guilty, suffering souls, dead in trespasses and sins. The inhumanity of man towards man is our greatest sin. Many think that they are representing the justice of God while they wholly fail of representing his tenderness and his great love. Often the ones whom they meet with sternness and severity are under the stress of temptation. Satan is wrestling with these souls and harsh, unsympathetic words discourage them and cause them to fall a prey to, t- to the tempter's power. It is a delicate matter to deal with minds. Only he who reads the heart knows how to bring men to repentance. Only his wisdom can give us success in reaching the lost. You may stand up stiffly feeling, I am holier than thou. And it matters not how correct your reasoning or how true your words, they will never touch hearts. The love of Christ manifested in word and act will win its way to the soul when the reiteration of precept or argument would accomplish nothing. We need more of Christ-like sympathy, not merely for those who appear to us to be faultless, but sympathy for poor, suffering, struggling souls who are often overtaken in fault, sinning and repenting, tempted and discouraged. We are to go to our fellow men, touched like our merciful high priest with the feeling of their infirmities. It was the outcast, the publican and sinner, the despised of the nations that Christ called and by his loving kindness compelled to come unto him. The one class that he would never countenance was those who stood apart in their self-esteem and looked down upon others. End of quote. Amen. You see, brothers and sisters, all I have been reading here is just telling us the attitude we should have towards sinners, which is the attitude God has, no matter how depraved anybody has been. As in the case of David, he went really low, but he tasted of the goodness and the forgiving power of God, and in tasting that, he loved God much. We also need to be people who are understanding. Do not look down on the depraved sinner. Yes, even though you see them addicted, falling, sinning and repenting, sinning and repenting, struggling, suffering, they still need encouragement and our hearts need to be touched just like the high priest is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Could we then who are just like our fellow human beings, not be touched when our merciful and holy high priest who knew no sin is touched with the feeling of men's infirmities? Then what excuse does man have for his fellow man? 
when we are all sinners, especially those who are struggling need the help of his fellow brethren. And we need to know how to enter into people's minds to relate with them. David knew how to do that, of course, seeing that he had experienced it and tasted the forgiving power of God. Those who haven't tasted it, those everyone has tasted it, it's just that some people do not see the exceeding sinfulness of sin. They think they are more righteous. They say, I've not aborted any baby before. I'm a virgin. I've not committed sin. I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I've not fornicated. I don't struggle with sexual sin. And that's one problem. People think that that's just all there is. But what of the stubbornness of King Saul? Don't you know that that is even worse? That stubbornness that makes you unappealing? That rebellion to God? Saul was lost because of stubbornness. It was not fornication. Neither was it adultery. It was that stubbornness that would not submit to the word of God. So, God does not see as man sees and man doesn't see as God sees. But we need to come in line with the way God sees things. Everyone, no matter how depraved, as far as we come to God, can receive forgiveness. David, in his dying bed, in his last days, could say that he had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. From the time when he committed that sin, I don't know what age he was, but he died at the age of 70 years. He had peace for many years after that sin was committed. Many years the Lord gave him peace. Though he had those times where there was trouble in his home as a consequence of his sin to show us all that the way of sin is hard. That's what we need to remember. The way of sin is hard. Let us not go further into sin. But then, no matter how deeply you have sinned, the life of David is an encouragement to us to make us understand that we have a God that is a merciful high priest that will forgive all our sins. The assurances of his word contains all of this. It is one of the strongest testimonies to the faithfulness, the justice, and the covenant mercy of God. Glorious are the promises made to David and his house, promises that look forward to the eternal ages and find their complete fulfillment in Christ. End of quote. And to you also, glorious are the promises in the word of God to you, and it finds its fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can experience what David experienced, that the Lord is good to those who are of a contrite heart, the Lord will not cast them away. And let us also have the same attitude to our fellow human beings. May the Lord bless us all as we participate of the character of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, help us to see the exceeding sinfulness of sin, that having seen how much we have been forgiven, we will love much. Lord, help us to also come into sympathy with sinful, erring people, that we may see them the way you see them, that we will love the sinner but hate the sin, and we will have the intelligence and wisdom and tact to know how to relate with others, that we may not make their case, those who have entered into any scandal, who struggle with any addiction or sin, that we will not make their case any worse by making them see or feel keenly the difference between ourselves and them in such a way that they will feel more condemned than they actually are. Help us, Lord, to have that wisdom, not to manifest that a shock towards those who sin, but like our Lord Jesus will come into sympathy with them. Please transform us. Sometimes we cannot fathom these things. We get shocked. We feel, how can anybody do this kind of sin? But we want to be like you, Lord, to have the mind that is willing to help, not necessarily shocked, but ready to show sympathy to anyone who sins. Lord, help us and have str- give us the strength that we 
will repent, deep repentance like that of David, and not go back to any evil behavior that we have had. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers. Please help those, all of us who struggle with one sin or the other, whether it is jealousy, envy, sensuality, pride, or ambition, selfishness. Lord, please deliver us, I pray. Thank you, Lord, for hearing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.